Good morning. We gather today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because we know that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Even so, we are called to worship in words from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on all the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And all God's people said, Amen. We have been called into the presence of a holy God to offer before him our praise and our prayers. But whenever we come into the presence of God, we understand that he is holy and we are not. And we are called to confession this morning in very familiar words from John's first epistle. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the strength of that assurance from God's word, let us confess our sin before the Lord and also our absolute need of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning thankful that you have called us, thankful that you have redeemed us through the blood of your Son, thankful that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And yet, Lord, we come acknowledging that there have been far too many times this past week when we have gone our own way instead of walking in your way. Far too many times when we have sinned to our own grievous fault in our thoughts and words and deeds, in the things we have done and in the things that we have left undone. Father, we acknowledge our guilt before you and we acknowledge that it is only through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we are made clean. We acknowledge that we could never earn this or deserve it, that it is a gift holy of grace through faith that no one should boast. And we come to you this morning, Father, confessing our sin, praying that you would cleanse us once again through the blood of your Son, and that, Lord, you would purify us from all unrighteousness, that we may walk in those good works which you have before ordained, that we should walk in them that you may be glorified in us and through us, that your spirit may work in us this morning and at all times, all that is pleasing to you through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle John wrote in chapter two of that same letter, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. In the strength of God's promises in his word then, know that as you have confessed your sins and trusted in Christ alone, you are forgiven and be at peace. Amen. As we continue to worship the Lord our God this morning, let's look to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be your people and to be called into your presence knowing that we can stand before you and worship because Jesus Christ gave himself for us and for our salvation. We thank you for the grace that makes it possible for us to be here this morning, that you have given us life and health in all things. We thank you for the grace especially that is ours through faith in Christ Jesus as we freely acknowledge that we are saved only as an act of your mercy and not through any good or any will of our own, but rather, Father, solely by your grace, through the power of your Holy Spirit, working your will in us. Father, we pray that as we come before you to worship, we may do so in a manner which is consistent with the holiness of your great name. We pray that the songs that we sing, the prayers that we offer before you, the very thoughts and meditations of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. We pray that your name would never be blasphemed because of us, but always upheld as holy, always proclaimed as the one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Father, we pray that we would do that here in this time of worship. We pray that we would take that name with us as we go into the world and that in our words and in our deeds, we may proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to your glory and honor. Father, we pray that even as your name is acknowledged to be holy among your people here in this church and in every church all around this world, where the great name of Christ is proclaimed and the gospel is held with faithfulness, that, Lord, your kingdom would come. We pray that in a world where there is so much that we don't understand. We pray that in a world where there are so many things that we want to bring before you, but we don't know how to pray as we ought. Father, we don't know how to pray for the violence that we see unfolding in so many parts of the world and particularly in the United States. We don't know how to pray when we contemplate elections on that side of the border and perhaps even on this side of the border. We don't know how to pray, Lord, except to offer before you the desire that your will would be done here on earth even as it is in heaven. We pray for an end to pandemics, to disease, to plagues, knowing, Father, that in all of these things, even in these things, you are at work. We pray, Father, for uh, justice to cover the earth as the, right, as, as the waters cover the sea. We pray, Father, for peace. We pray for healing for those who are sick. We pray that in all of these things and in so many others, your will would be done. 
And Father, we pray that we may be submissive to that will, recognizing that your will alone is good, recognizing, Father, that as we submit more and more to that good and perfect holy will, that, Lord, your kingdom comes within us, and as it comes in our lives, it comes in our families, in our churches, and in the world. Lord, we pray that you would give us today our daily bread. We pray that you would provide for every need for each person who has gathered here this morning and for those who are watching by video. Lord, we pray that you would give us the food that we need to sustain our lives in this world. We pray, above all, that you would give us the spiritual food that we need to sustain us to eternal life through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. That we would be nourished by your Holy Spirit to walk in his ways, to walk in love, to walk, Father, in a manner that is worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus, that the world may see and hear and know that we belong to you. We pray, Father, that you would provide for us jobs, meaningful employment, income, to be able to sustain ourselves. We pray that you would be with those who continue to work the land to bring in the harvest this year, that you would provide what they need in terms of weather and in terms of strength and safety, We pray, Father, that in all of these things, as you pour out your abundance upon us, that, Father, we may take the blessings that we receive from your hand and use them to be a blessing to others. We think especially this morning as we receive a collection for Rehoboth Ministries, and we pray, Father, that what we give may go far in the work of that organization to bring your kingdom and to minister justice and peace and love and mercy to the people who are clients of that ministry. Father, we pray that you would provide all that is needed for life. We pray that you would provide all that is needed for godliness. We pray that you would give us eyes to see, and we pray that you would give us hearts that overflow with thankfulness. Father, we pray too that in this life, as we struggle through the various things that are happening in our lives in this world, that, Father, you would lead us not into temptation, but would deliver us from the evil one. It's so easy for us to fall. It's so easy for us to give in to the temptations that constantly bombard us from the world and the flesh and the devil. But, Lord, we pray that by your grace and in your loving kindness, you would enable us to walk as your people, to live holy lives, to proclaim in our lives and in our words, the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that people would see the good that we do and give you, our Father in heaven, all the glory, and that, Father, seeing you reflected in us, that they may turn and believe and be saved. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come And Father, we pray that you would enable us to proclaim the gospel faithfully so that in all things, this church and your church all around the world may be built up. We pray, Father, all of these things that you may receive the glory and praise for you alone are worthy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, and do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today was Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours and is one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. As we turn our hearts to the word of God, let's look to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would speak to us by your word and spirit this morning that we may hear what your spirit is saying to the church, that, Lord, we may by faith appropriate your word, that it may take root in us and grow and bear fruit to eternal life, that you may be glorified and praised in all things. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Our second reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We began our study of the book of Ruth a couple of weeks ago with the understanding that this little book of Ruth is first and foremost a love story. It's the story of an unlikely love between an Israelite woman and her Moabite daughter-in-law. It is the still more unlikely story of the love between an aging Israelite farmer and that same young woman who came to gleam in his fields at harvest time. But most of all, the book of Ruth is the story of the love that God has for his people in Christ Jesus. The love that found expression as he reached out to us, sending his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. It's a story of love and grace and faith, the primary virtues that find expression in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And in Ruth chapters one and two, we come to learn some very important truths about these. We learn, first of all, contrary to the way that it is most often portrayed these days, that love is a verb, not a noun. Love is an act not a feeling. And you can see this so clearly in the two young women who set out with Naomi on the road that led from Moab back to Bethlehem. You see, often we think of Naomi and Ruth walking that road alone, two women traveling through hostile wilderness, trying to make their way back to the land of Naomi's birth. And that's what the journey eventually came to be. But in the beginning, there were three Verses 6 and 7 of Ruth chapter 1 tell us, Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But there came a point at some time along the way somewhere probably fairly early in that journey, when Naomi must have realized that the two young Moabite women, practically speaking, had very few prospects, living in a land where they would be despised for their culture, their religion, and their race. Even so, Naomi, and it must have broken her heart to do this because she had found such comfort in these two young women, tells us, go, return each of you to her mother's house, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead 
and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And both of these women, to some extent, love their mother-in-law. Scripture tells us both women began to weep as they hear Naomi's words and, and they see the pain that these words cause her. But Orpah listens to those words and then she kisses her mother-in-law and turns back, returning to her family home, hoping to make a new start, maybe to have a new husband in the land of Moab. She loved, she loved Naomi, but for her, Love was more about words and feelings. Ruth, on the other hand, will not be discouraged. Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But as we saw last Sunday, Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and most importantly, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth demonstrates that she loves not only in word, but in deed and in truth. She will not be discouraged. She will not be turned away. She will love Naomi and will love her to the end. How very different from the kind of love that we hear spoken of in so many different forums these days. How vastly different. You see, even if we speak very specifically about Christian love, if if we were asked, for instance, do you love Jesus? I wonder how many people today would truly understand the question. I mean, if we're asked, do you love Jesus? We kind of have to say yes. We do, after all, sing a few songs. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. But is the love that we profess for the Lord Jesus Christ a, a love like Orpah's or a love like Ruth's? Is it a love that consists only in speaking of religious words once in a while whenever we happen to get ourselves out to church? Or is it a love that finds expression in all of our living, in the way that we treat others, in the way that we do our work, even in the way that we relax and play? As John the Apostle has written, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Because at the bottom line, that is love. The love that God showed for us when he gave his son. The love that the son showed for us when he gave his life. You see, love is a verb. Love is an action, not a feeling, not just words. For the sake of love, a son would leave his father and lay down his life for his friends. For the sake of love, a young woman would leave her home and her family and all that she has ever known to stay with her mother-in-law who truly needed her. And Ruth, for her part, may never have consciously thought this out. For her, it was not perhaps a matter of defining love so that she could measure her feeling against that definition. It was simply a matter of loving and being willing to do whatever love required. So she loved, and she lived by faith. 
And in fact, faith is based on love. Love is the beginning of faith. I mean, we read this story. And like so many Bible stories, we know the end from the beginning. So we tend to think of all the things that Ruth stood to gain by returning with Naomi to Bethlehem, by becoming an Israelite instead of a Moabite. There is, after all, a book of the Bible that bears her name. And we know from chapter 4 that she not only found a husband, she found a husband whose family would one day rule over all Israel through Ruth's great-grandson, David. More importantly still, through the house and lineage of David, Ruth stands, as we have seen, in a direct line with Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But Ruth could not have known On that day when she said, do not urge me to leave you, do not ask me to return from following after you, she could not have known how all this would turn out so long before she arrived in Bethlehem or received any of the rewards that would one day be hers. Ruth simply loved Naomi enough to trust the call of grace and leave behind the life that was hers in her home country. And really, it should be the same for us. Before we ever receive the rewards of following Jesus, we have to hear his call and learn to follow. And the call of grace is costly. Ruth walked away from her life just to follow Naomi to a home that was not hers. And I wonder, would we walk away from that at the call of Jesus? You remember That same Jesus who said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? But do we really love him that much? Do we trust him that much? Would we really give up the world? Would we even give up our lives in the world? Would we give up all the things that become so important to us in the course of a lifetime? Would we walk away from the people that mean the most to us just to walk with Jesus? Would we give up the life that we've imagined for ourselves to answer the call of Christ? Would we walk away from the hopes and dreams and plans that we have for the future in order to obtain a cross? Would we do that understanding that crosses do not come with good padding and velvet upholstery? Crosses are not comfortable. Crosses... The crosses which we are called to take up daily if we would be followers of Jesus are the stuff of costly grace. But this is our life. Loving Jesus means trusting Jesus and following Jesus. Trusting him is really the very definition of what it means to be a Christian. We are not Christians Because we say that we are, we are Christians because we have been called by Christ and in the grace of God have heard that call, responded to it, and followed after him. And the truth is that faith is following, nothing less and nothing else. Ruth demonstrates this for us in chapters one and two of this lovely little romance from the time that she determined to follow Naomi back to Israel every step 
of the way Ruth takes in faith, not knowing how this is going to turn out, just knowing in her heart that she loves her mother-in-law, so she follows. She follows Naomi through the wilderness and on to Bethlehem. Then, with Naomi's blessing, she goes out and she follows the harvesters, people who would most likely have despised her, gleaning in the fields, scraping together some grain to keep her family going. And finally, when she is approached by a total stranger who tells her in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Hearing those words, she accepts on faith the sincerity of that promise and agrees to do as she has been told. And when the day was done, she went home to her mother-in-law and she told her of her experience. And Naomi, recognizing the name of Boaz, gives praise to the Lord and sends her back the next day. And Ruth follows on, trusting Naomi, trusting Boaz, leaving the end of the story in the hands of God. And you know, that's true faith. True faith is not absurdly and wrongly believing that whatever road we walk, it will end in heaven because we simply believe in the existence of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. True faith is walking a road that we do not know because we walk and follow in the footsteps of our Savior and we trust that Jesus knows exactly which road will lead us to God and we determined to follow him. To bring this back then to where we started this morning, Ruth is first and foremost a love story. It's a story about love that finds expression in trust, and a story of trust that is a story of true faith that is found in following, nothing less, as I said, and nothing else. And this is the message today. Most, if Not all of us here this morning profess to trust in Christ alone, and that is a good thing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Or as we read a little earlier in 1 John, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. But true faith does not and cannot exist in a vacuum. It's not something that we just have as a possession to carry with us wherever we may go and whatever we may decide to do. Rather, true faith changes us. True faith is the source of the love that we have for God and his people, that love of which John said, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Because, in fact, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Again, we see love is a verb. Love is an action, not a feeling. This is how we know that we love God, if we love his children and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we do what God tells us to do, that we keep his commandments. If we love him, we will obey him. And furthermore, his commandments are not burdensome. 
in the love that we come to have for God as he gives us knowledge of who he is and of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. His love is not burdensome. And it's his love that motivates us or drives us to love one another within the body of Christ as we follow in the footsteps of the one whose whole life was the ultimate expression of love. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And how do we know that we love the Father? Well, we already saw this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You see, people who trust love. People who love act, and people who act, people who obey, are simply demonstrating trust. This is saving faith. And that's why, as we consider Ruth's story, it's very hard to find a line between trust and obedience and love, because in reality, there is no such line. God, in his providence, draws Ruth into a relationship, not only with Naomi and Boaz, but with himself. Remember, your God will be my God. Those were her words. And then, because she loves, she trusts. And because she trusts, she follows. She follows Naomi back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. She follows the instructions of Boaz when he finds her gleaning in his barley field. And she followed the young women of Boaz keeping close and gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And in the end, she followed God, loving, trusting, and stepping obediently, not not only into the story of Naomi and Boaz, but also into our story if we hear the call of the gospel. Loving, trusting, and obeying the voice of Ruth's greatest grandson, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, our Savior and our Lord. May God give us grace to hear his voice this very day. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. May we pray. Father in heaven, hear our prayer this morning and work in us all that is pleasing to you through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are sent on our way this morning with words from Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 17 where the Apostle Paul wrote, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led By the Spirit of God, our sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Even so, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, our God. And the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, Amen.